the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. from the couch podcast episode number eight i think we're on i'm kyle your host and this episode today is sponsored by i'm so fucking busy that i'm literally recording it hours before it comes out so we're gonna see how that fucking goes but yeah what's up guys how's it going this episode today is about robert smalls a slave who did a sweet sweet thing now i know after the last episode i Kind of got a little morbid with everything, with the whole, oh, I'm so fucking busy and all that shit. And I'm not lying about that. I am extremely busy. I'm a very busy dude right uh, now this time of year. I got a lot of shit going on. But I found a little free time, and I found, you know, a good test subject. It's not going to be a super long episode. This one really may be about as short as a mini episode when it comes down to it. But this guy, Robert Small, has got a really cool story. So I hope you're all ready and rearing for that one. Not going to be as fun as uh, SEMO last week, but it's going to be fun anyway. It was going to be a good one. And I just wanted, I don't know, usually I come into these things going, hey, I got something fun to talk about, something cool to talk about, but I literally, I don't have shit to talk about now. It's just, you know, the weather's changing, the winter's coming, it's it's a whole thing. Um, yeah, I don't know, guys. I just, I, I, I've been mulling around the whole thing with, with the hosting for a while, still haven't found a good uh, option for that, but... Fortunately, I get to keep my community entitlement from Podient for another about two and a half months, so I really have a little bit of extra time to to find something new to do there, so not a big deal, and I obviously have plenty of time to try to figure out a new website and stuff, but that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to think about. You know, I really like doing the podcast like this, but I've also really started to find that I like talking and just talking about random bullshit. I really like to just kind of shoot the shit and talk about stuff that's important to me or or even just stuff that's not that important, just stuff that I like to chat about. And 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 going forward, we're probably going to get to episode 12, 13, 14, 15-ish before I really get to having guests on the show, but I really do plan on having guests on the show in the future. And that might change the dynamic because, you know, how do I want to do it? Do I want to do it? Do I want to do it like Joe Rogan does, where we just kind of talk and, you know, I kind of just, we, we shoot the shit and talk about, you know, whatever the guest is is sort of into and we, and we riff from that? Or, you know, do I pick a historical topic and, you know, hope the guest is either semi-literate about that topic or maybe have them look it over and we can chit-chat? Or do I have my guest pick out something and then I just kind of follow their lead and we, we do something interesting like that? And, and when it comes down to it, 
is the podcast knowledge from the couch anymore? Or is that even a good name? Or is that even a good thing anymore? So we're at sort of a crossroads. It's going to continue to be what it is right now for a while, for sure. But I don't know, maybe maybe the show will change a little bit as we go forward. Maybe things will change. I'm, I've, I still love doing this. This is so, so much fun to me to record this podcast. But I'm, I'm, we're really at a crossroads. We're trying to really still find find the personality of the show. And you know what? I would love to hear your guys' opinion on something like that. Do you like the way we're doing it now? Do you have any suggestions for changes? I, I know we're kind of stuck now where I kind of do the little intro bullshit thing like I'm doing right now. And, you know, I give you a couple nice, fun songs in between, you know, with the intro and the bulk of the whole thing. It's, it's, it's pretty well, it's pretty well organized, I think. Do you guys like the format of the show? Do you want to see changes? Is there stuff I should take out? Is there stuff you'd like to see me do with the show? I would love to hear about that stuff. And I'll reiterate that at the end of the show again, but just something to think about before we talk about this episode. Now, this episode is about Robert Smalls, a, a slave born in Beaufort, South Carolina. He's got a real interesting story, and I would love, love for you to hear about it. And without further ado, let's hear about Robert Smalls. Hey, in the wake of dawn, I see you shine. When I feel that heartbeat, heartbeat, I fly so much higher, fly so much higher, fly so much higher, fly so much higher, sky. Don't let go, 
Robert Smalls. What can we say about this dude? All right, so this is going to be another one of those sort of mid to uh, getting into the later 1800s type of stories that we like to do. Robert Smalls is a black man born in Beaufort, South Carolina in... Probably should have that info up real quick so I could just, you know, say it like not a dipshit. 1839. Robert Smalls is born in 1839 in Beaufort, South Carolina to a guy named McKee who owned uh, some land uh, very, very close to the harbor in Charleston, South Carolina. So this is where the story basically gets its nexus and its roots because for the most part, Robert Smalls' childhood getting into adulthood really isn't all that, quote, interesting unquote. And that's just kind of from me looking at him. Um that's not to that's not to put down people who were slaves and to say that they didn't have interesting lives. But when we're talking about in the context of the story we're going to tell today, there wasn't a whole lot of interestingness that happened there. Now the the only part that is interesting, the part that stands out that helps us tell his story, is that when Robert Smalls was twelve years old, his master sent him to Charleston to hire out as a laborer and through this, he developed this this insane love for sailing and the sea. Since they were in the harbor all the time, he would take on jobs on different boats doing, you know, various odd jobs and tasks that, you know, white guys at this point would have a young slave boy do. And over the years, he became an extremely talented sailor to the point where he was able to actually pilot boats, uh, something they called a, uh, a uh, wheelman or a pilot, or whatever you would call it, the guy who literally sits at the wheel of the ship and steers it. Uh, of course, they weren't going to ever call him a proper wheelman because he was a slave, but that's sort of besides the point. The point is that throughout his teens into his early 20s, Smalls became an extremely talented sailor, and that's that's going to be the, the, the focal point of the first part of his story. Uh, also, by the way, at 17, Robert Smalls marries Hannah Jones, and another slave, who was a hotel maid in Charleston, and they had a few kids with each other, and she already had a couple kids as well. So Robert kind of has his family going on and this whole thing, and and he's he's slowly but surely this whole time. And by the way, Robert Smalls is like a genius. This guy is not your average, you know, dude from the mid eighteen hundreds. He's not a dumb guy. Robert is an extremely intelligent guy. So the entire time. He's doing the work in the harbor here. He is planning his escape. He is planning it and trying to find the right moment. And, of course, the thing that really gets him into that right moment is the Civil War. Now, in antebellum South, you know, even if you kind of have the inklings that something is going to happen as tensions rise through the 1830s and the 40s and the 50s, all the way up to the 60s when the Civil War starts, you might still... You know, if you're a slave at this time, you might really not have, even if you are privy to information about what's going on between the the North and the South at this point, you still may not be all that, you know, optimistic about your chances. And, and, and a lot of people weren't. A lot of them just sort of were resigned to their fate and, and sort of gave up to it. Um, but a guy like Robert Smalls, especially being a guy in the harbor you know, here and there and everywhere, you can see the movements of soldiers and troops. You know, he he had an inkling that something was going to go down, that something was going to happen. And when the Civil War broke out in 1861, 
Robert was was ready ready to make his move when this thing started. And as luck would have it, since his reputation was so good among the sailors, uh, the Confederate sailors in this area, Robert was put aboard the CSS, being Confederate ship, the CSS planter out of the Charleston Harbor. Now, like I said, he, he had developed such a good rapport with all the sailors in the area that he was very quickly given, you know, a post on this ship. And of course, the sailors around just kind of thought he was just a, you know, just a good old boy, just a big old dumbass who just was just happy to be there, just happy to be doing what he was doing. And Robert played the part perfectly. He, you know, up and down during the, and, and, and so the Civil War begins in April of 1861. And Robert isn't going to make his attempt at an escape till about a year later. So he spent basically this first year while the war is gearing up and starting in this area sort of looking at and and taking in and registering to himself the the, the union blockade uh, the way the ship movements are you know he, he would go up and down the coast anyway as a member of the crew of this ship and he would also go inland uh, by river so so he become a very extremely good pilot on the CSS planter while at the same time gathering intelligence about what he wanted to do. And in April of 1862, now about a year after the Civil War starts, Smalls, he starts to make his his plan go from, you know, sort of the planning stages and sort of a fantasy to become a reality. He really starts to seriously plan what he's going to do and how he's going to accomplish it. So in April of 1862, he starts to mull everyone see what he wants to do. Then in May of 1862, so now he's he's been mulling it over for a good month. He's he's getting everybody's movements down. He's he's understanding where people go when shifts are over, what people are doing, you know, who's important, this, that, and the other thing. On May 12th in 1862, the CSS planter uh, travels 10 miles southwest of Charleston to stop at Coles Island, which is a Confederate post on the Stono River that was being dismantled. So So they go there. They pick up some guns, bring them back to Charleston. So once they get back to Charleston, the crew unloads all the stuff that they pick up, and everybody's just, you know, tired as hell. Everybody's just ready to be done with their mission, and Robert knows this. So on the evening of May 12th, there are Confederate soldiers, some white dudes, on board the ship with Robert. And they decide, oh, you know, Robert's a great dude. Robert's a really trustworthy guy. Let's just leave the ship and charge with him. He'll be fine. He'll just he'll sit here. He'll wash the ship while we go, you know, we go land side. We go relax, have a couple drinks, you know, just chill, do what people do in 1862, and we'll just let Robert wash the ship. He's not going anywhere. Fuck it. Cool. So, hey, Robert, you go wash the ship. We're just going to go on land. And Robert, you know, very quickly just agrees with him, you know, nods his head like a good boy would. And that was his opportunity. So... These guys go, these guys go landside. Robert says, all right, it's time to fucking go. Here we go. There are some other slaves on the CSS planter at this moment as well. Robert, being the smooth, suave dude that he is, tells them, hey, guys, I am escaping right now. We're going to make our run for it right now. Are you with me? You, let's do this. And reluctantly, and of course it's reluctantly because, you know, you know what happens when these sort of things happen with slaves. If you fail, it's you might as well be looking for death instead because that would probably be 
a better thing, a better fate to befall you. But Robert being the charismatic dude he is, and he is charismatic, people love Robert Smalls. Being the charismatic guy he is, these slaves go along with him. So (laughs) Robert Smalls starts to pull off like a James Bond maneuver. He goes, convinces these guys to go ashore, these white guys. They go, okay, you know, yeah, we should go ashore. They go ashore. He goes and finds these other slaves on a ship. He convinces them, hey, we're just going to take this fucking ship, an entire Confederate ship, not like a dinghy, not like a tugboat, not like a little dinky fuck, like an actual gunboat. We're going to take this ship, and we're going to goddamn escape right now, guys. Let's do it. And they're like, oh, okay, dude, I guess we're going to. He goes below deck, gets a uniform, a Confederate uniform, with, you know, hat and everything, looks like a goddamn Confederate soldier, puts that thing on, and gets going. And this is where his his love of the sea and all the time he put into sailing as a young boy and do a young man, this is where all that came into handy because he was ready to goddamn go. It wasn't like some runaway slave, you know, from, from more inland, like, say, in Alabama or Georgia, made their way to South Carolina and Charleston just said, oh, I'm just going to steal a boat and go. Probably wouldn't go very well because the guy wouldn't know the first thing about sailing. Robert, on the other hand, no, knew the first, second, third, fourth, fifth thing about sailing and was ready to goddamn go. So after waiting a while, obviously, it's not like the guys went ashore and he just was like, ah, cool, here we go, and escaped. But, you know, waited the appropriate amount of time and decided it's time to go. Gets the boat out going into the harbor and he's on his way. The best and most insane part of this story so he he knows what he has to do. He has to get this ship somehow to the Union Navy or the United States Navy, I guess you could call it at this point. He knows he has to get this boat there. But he is like Mr. Chivalry, and he's not like, well, I'm just going to escape by myself. Fucking Robert Smalls, he picks up the slaves that are on the boat. He picks up a few more slaves, and then he goes and finds his wife and kids. So he's just sailing around at like 3 in the morning. Now it's May 13th, so it was the, the night of... May 12th is when he started his plan. May 13th now in the morning. He's just sailing around, fucking picking people up. Like, hey, we're we're making our escape. Here we go. Starts picking people up. And then makes his way northward where he's going to meet the Union Navy uh, and surrender the ship. But before he gets there, he has to pass five different Confederate checkpoints. Now, this is exactly where, even if, like I was saying, you were some... Somebody trying to steal a ship, but you're from you're from farther inland somewhere, and you come out to to do what you're going to do. At some point, there are so many checks and balances and, and and things that are going on that you would eventually fail at some point, and you'd be captured. And not Robert Smalls; he was ready for every goddamn contingency. He had spent so much time as a sailor and so much time with the captain of the CSS Planter, who <laughs> the ship that he was stealing. He spent so much time watching this guy and, and taking in what this guy did that as he was going through these checkpoints, he was able to pass every single one of them without being stopped. And it's kind of crazy to think about that, but then you go, okay, well, what's what's logical? If this was in broad daylight, even from far away, these Confederate stations would very clearly see that the captain of the planter was not a white man, but a black guy, but it was three in the morning, so it was dark. It was dark enough to hide the fact that he was a black guy and he was not the captain of the planter, but dark enough also to sort of just go, oh, okay, you know, guys from ashore, guys at these checkpoints who just kind of, you know, take his word for it. He had watched the captain of the planter so closely 
that not only did he pick up the hand signals that he had to use at each checkpoint, and each of the five checkpoints had different hand signals that the the captains of these ships would have to put up. There were secret hand signals, just like in baseball, you know, secret secret signals. Each checkpoint had its own set of secret hand signals that if you didn't put out the right signal that you would be, you know, some bad shit would go down. It would not be good for you. He had so closely and carefully watched the captain of the CSS planter up to this point for the past year or so that not only did he know all the hand signals and the right order and the right port for each of the five ports, he was actually a good enough impressionist to to pick up the mannerisms of the captain of the planter, the point where guys looking ashore were like, yeah, that's that's the dude. Of course, that's a cap. Well, here, go right through, right along through. So good, so smart as as a as a pirate. He basically is a pirate at this point. Sweet pirate. He's a slave, and now he's a fucking pirate. He's pirating this ship. Goes to these checkpoints. Nobody's any goddamn wiser. Eventually, runs into the USS Onward, which is the first ship he runs into from the Union Navy fleet up north at about four thirty in the morning. He grabs a bed sheet throws that thing up as a surrender flag and surrenders the planter to the United States Navy, therefore not only giving the United States Navy an extra ship to use, which they do, by the way, the United States Navy just slaps a U on top of the sea and then goes from the CSS planter to the USS planter and uses that boat during naval skirmishes in the Civil War. Not only do they gain that, but Robert Smalls and his family and the slaves that he brought with him all gain their freedom. That is extremely badass. This is a very James Bond-esque insane escape that he he put the time and effort in and just waited. Waited for his opportunity. Then boom, out of there. Escaped. Fucking hand signals, hat, uniform, James Bond. He's out of there. Now, we could end the story right there and be like, Robert Smalls is a badass. It's fucking awesome that he just did what he did. I mean, who who goes and steals a goddamn gunship and escapes from being a slave you might hear some guys you know getting off their plantation and you know heading northward and 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 avoiding different hunting parties and this and that nobody goes to a goddamn ship in a harbor takes it goes to checkpoints and gets the fuck out of there except robert smalls we could end our story right there and and it would be good but that's not where his story ends that's how cool robert smalls is he's got more shit going on after he does his insane escape a lot of people attribute Robert Small's escape and his heroism to actually convincing President Lincoln at the time to start allowing black men to serve in the Union Army, which if you've ever seen the movie Glory, one of my favorites, I love that movie, you know, it was an extremely effective tactic. Why would you why would you take away a fighting force of men who is every bit as smart and qualified and and tough and has a cause to fight for, why would you take those guys out of the potential pool of soldiers? And, you know, it's almost like Abraham Lincoln had like a no shit, duh moment and started to allow it. And it was guys like Robert Smith that convinced him that, yes, yes, black guys aren't stupid. This isn't sort of a race thing. These guys are guys. These are men and women just like white people. And they can do what you do. Hey, maybe they can help your cause out. You know, Lincoln was always, and everybody kind of gets this this sort of nostalgic Abraham Lincoln was was fighting for the freedom of slaves. Not exactly. Uh, When he was first president, he really was sort of a neutral party 
when it came to that. Actually, a lot of people were. The, the, the slavery in the South obviously went on right up to you know the end of the Civil War. And people would argue with Jim Crow and other things that it kind of went on a little bit after that, you know, in, in, in different terms. But formal slavery, formal ownership of people in the South went on up to, you know, the end of the Civil War. And it went on in the North as well. Most northern states by that time had gotten rid of it. Some northern states still had it. Some northern states, you know, were still pretty, you know, whatever about it. So, and, and that was the thing, through the 1820s, 30s, 40s, 50s, as you're making your way through the early 1800s up to the mid-1800s, there's this, there's this view that if we let this shit go too much, and I think everybody kind of saw it coming, but they were saying, you know, if we let this shit go on too much, we are going to bust this country apart. We just, so most politicians, most representatives, senators, you know, presidents and others at the time were really kind of hands off about slavery, whether or not they believed in it, whether or not they were fine with it and actually were totally cool with that sort of thing, or they were totally against it. Most politicians at the time were still sort of, mm, you know, about that. And and Lincoln was really no exception to get elected in 1860. You still couldn't be a thousand percent against something that half the country was for. But, you know, at this point, things are starting to change. Sentiments are starting to change. And this was the the impetus for, for Lincoln to really change his mind, leading to things like the Emancipation Proclamation. But either way, that's another cool thing that Robert Smalls did. But it isn't the last cool thing that Robert Smalls did. He continued to be cool for a while thereafter. After the Civil War ended... Robert Smalls took a bunch of the money that he had earned, not only gifting the ship back to the Union Army, or to the Union Army, I should say. He got a sizable stipend from that. He was also a a sailor in the Union Navy for the rest of the the war, and was given pay, even though he technically couldn't be... it's It's a weird thing. He couldn't actually technically be commissioned as an officer in the Union Navy... Uh, because of a technicality where he didn't go to the United States Naval Academy, but he was given a commission in a volunteer regiment and given a commission up to second lieutenant, then he made his way up to captain and was given money you know, according to that. And it was a whole thing where he made a bunch of money, and it was good, and then later on in life he was looking for a pension like a normal guy who had served during the war would get, and he was jerked around a bunch because people were saying he wasn't actually a member of the United States military, and it was a whole thing. Eventually, it gets all settled out, but it's total bullshit, and it's definitely, definitely because he was a black guy. But before that, right after the Civil War, Robert Smalls, in the coolest form of, of justice ever, goes back to Beaufort, South Carolina, his native Beaufort, where he was born, and fucking buys the house that he was a slave in. So he buys the house... That was the McKees' house, the McKees being his owners before he escaped slavery. The McKees had that house stripped from them from the United States government in 1863 because they didn't pay their taxes on it, probably because it was a southern, northern thing. And later, after the war is over, Robert Smalls you know, tiptoes his way back to Beaufort and takes that fucking house back and buys it. So insane is the whole thing. The guy, his former owner, decided to try to to take that case to court and win his house back and he lost so robert small's badass 
says, okay, you own me. I don't give a shit. Grow up. Steal a boat. Take it over north. Cool. Come back to Beaufort. Buy the fucking house you own me in. You try to take it back. I don't give a shit. My house now. So he goes and he does that sort of thing. In addition, he sort of helps to to sort of steer the idea of integration in Philadelphia when he's riding around in a in a, in a car up there. And I, I don't want to say car, it's a streetcar. This is the time, you know, where, where trains are still sort of a thing, streetcars and public transportation. You know, he was sort of the Rosa Parks situation before Rosa Parks was. He was on a streetcar in Philadelphia and the driver says, hey, you got to move because you're a black dude because there's a white person who wants your seat. And instead of just moving moving to the overflow car, he just says, fucking leaves. This is seen very poorly by those people who are looking for equality, and it ends up leading to, in 1867, Philadelphia helping to integrate public transportation. So, obviously, this takes a little while to uh, make its way down south, obviously, but at the same time, you know, he, he does that cool thing where, you know, you, you, you do what you got to do, and you take your L at the moment, and it becomes a W later on in life. But but the coolest thing that Robert Smalls did was after after he got done with the war, he goes down to Beaufort, he becomes a politician. He becomes a member of the House of Representatives, so a congressman in 1874, and except for one little blip in the radar, basically serves five terms as a as a congressman, which is is, is totally amazing to me. This guy who Grows up, I mean, literally, if you want a story about a bootstraps dude, you look at Robert Smalls. I mean, he was a slave, but he did the best he could with what he had and and turned it around and eventually got to the point where not only had he escaped and gotten his freedom, but he bought the house that his asshole master lived in, kept that house, and then was elected to be a politician in the government making decisions on shit you know, especially shit like racism, stuff like disenfranchising people of color. He was a guy now in charge to help look after those sort of things, and it's it's an it's truly truly an amazing story. Um, he was elected as a Republican in the South Carolina district, and actually, a fun fact, which I'm going to use as the non sequitur fact of the day because I can't find a good one for this week, he was the last Republican as a member of the 7th District in South Carolina until 2010, very recent. Now, before anybody says anything stupid, we must all remind ourselves that the Republicans at this time and the Democrats at this time are vastly different from the Republicans of the modern day. The modern day, if you're listening to this in 2550, the modern day to me is 2017, and the modern day... Republicans and Democrats are different from the 1870s, 1880s versions of those parties. Things change over time. That's the big moral of the story. Things change over time. So, at this time, most Republicans were fairly progressive-type people. They were the party of Lincoln. They were the people trying to to help out those disenfranchised black people who are now free, they weren't slaves anymore, who were free, you know, trying to gain them the rights that they deserved, and Southern white Democrats were the ones trying to suppress that. That is absolutely the case. Over time, 
identities change in politics, and now it is sort of the other way around, but we won't get into that too much because I'm already, <laughs> as I talk, I'm already reading emails about how much of a fucking cuck I am or whatever the fuck people want to say. Either way, getting back to the badass that is Robert Smalls, grows up, steals a ship, takes it, takes to the Union Army, serves in the Union Army, is a badass, gets out of the Army, buys his old house that he was a slave in, says fuck you to his master, goes and runs for office, gets an office, runs for five fucking terms, kicks ass, and and dies at the age of 75 in, in 1915, so... Yeah, he's he's just a he's just a fun, cool story that you're gonna find during the Civil War. It, it, it's it's a really great one. I always recommend go look him up for yourself. He's there's a lot of things I didn't cover, uh, if not you know just a couple words here and there. His his story is even more spectacular than I can cover in a really short podcast. But yeah, go look him up. He's amazing, and 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 guys. Since I already did our non-sequitur fact of the day, even though it was totally sequitur, it was totally related, that is the end of the podcast. Easy fucking peasy. That's all there is to it. My name has been Kyle Steinhauser, and you can find me at Kyle Steinhauser on Twitter, at Kyle F. Steinhauser on the Instagram. We got a Facebook page, Knowledge from the Couch Podcast. Search it, find it, like it. I post this shit on there. I also post it from my personal account. It's all good in the hood. Like I said, we are still mulling over about the future of the podcast. We're still trying to figure out what we want to do with it. I'm going to keep it going. This is, don't get me wrong, this is not a an announcement that it's going away. By no means is that true. Uh, after I get done with school, I expect it to grow a little bit. I expect to be able to do more episodes. I expect to have, like I said, guests. Once I start making a decent paycheck, we might actually get some decent equipment in this bitch and we can really make it like it's a like it's a real podcast it's gonna be super fucking cool but we're still and i say we a lot the royal we i guess i don't know it's mostly just me and you know mulling over decisions with people close to me but when i say we that's what i mean you know we're trying to figure out the identity of the podcast where we want it to go are we going to change the name are we going to change the artwork what are we going to do i encourage everyone listening if you're a person where this is reaching your ears i want to hear from you i want you to tell me about the podcast what would you change what do you like what do you dislike you know artwork this and that all the stuff i want to hear it you know it's fun to do but if i don't hear anything about it it either means a i'm doing a really good goddamn job and it's perfect which is total bullshit or b people just aren't engage with it, which is kind of the death knell of the podcast. I would hate for that to be the case. I would love to put it out and have engagement with everybody. That would be wonderful. So through those social media means and and if you know me personally, fucking come up and talk to me. Let's talk about the show. Let me know what you like and dislike and all the good shit about this podcast. It would be awesome. You can find the podcast if you somehow don't know where it's at. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcast. It's hanging out there. Leave it a Leave it a rating. Subscribe to it while you're there. Do that with other people who you know aren't listening now but want to listen to it. Find those people. Get them hooked on the show. Let's do all that cool bullshit. And, yeah, guys, that's it. Until next week, which, again, this is two weeks in a row now. I have no clue what we're going to do next week for the show. But there's going to be a show. I guarantee it. Until then, you guys, thank you so much for listening. 
拜拜。